So as we uh, ready ourselves uh, for um, the message this morning, I would ask you to join with me in a word of prayer. Father, we are uh, here in this life not just to take up space, but to understand your purposes for us, uh, how wonderful those purposes are. If we would just lay aside our own selfish ambition, our own egos, if we would see the greater good of others or um, those around us that need us. And we know uh, that even as baby Moses was placed in the basket and uh, sailed out into the middle of the Nile River, he needed his parents. And that becomes a tale and a story of all of life for us that we need each other. But may we never forget and always remember that we need you. For you have come to us in the babe incarnate in Bethlehem, the child of love. And so we thank you, Lord, that as we walk in relationship with you, we encounter you in fresh new ways, ways in which we feel your heart beating next to ours, and you embrace and hold us in love. As we begin to share, Lord, in this new sermon series throughout the month of January, help us to remember that our faith always requires a response from us because it is always our move. These things we ask and pray in your precious name, the name of Jesus, and all the people of God said, amen. So, um, as Ron was uh, sharing with us, uh, this uh, does now begin a new sermon series for us. And if you take a look uh, in your Sunday bulletin, you will uh, find a uh, paragraph explanation all about uh, this particular sermon series and, and all the sermons uh, that we'll be sharing in together throughout the month of January, along with their accompanying scriptural text. So I'd invite you to go ahead and read those uh, scriptures prior to... Uh, arriving at worship on Sunday so that you're familiar with the text uh, uh, as you continue to grow in Christ Jesus. So, uh, it's always your move. And it's my move too, but it's our move together. And this means that God is always looking at you and I about how we will make our decisions, what we will decide, and perhaps even more importantly, uh, how we will act, and what side of the fence that you are going to end up on. It's your move implies that what one person does affects another person, which affects another person, and another person, and so on. Well, we are now living, uh, of course, in the age of the Internet, which, um, if you can believe it, just started in 1990. And what a revolution within our culture and society the Internet has been. But if the Internet has shown us any one thing, it is certainly how palpable it is that one person can affect another and another and another in this web of social relationships. What you or I do on social media affects not just you, but another person and then another person and then another person and so on and, and so forth. We see this. This is, for example, through the internet and the World Wide Web, how it is that operatives, ISIS operatives at work in Syria can recruit 
uh, Somali youth who are living in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Now, for those of you that are old enough and can remember the Mary Tyler Moore show, do you remember that show? The setting for that show took place in Minneapolis, in the cold snows of Minneapolis, with, with bone-chilling temperatures such as perhaps what we're experiencing today. But I kind of think uh, when, when I hear in the news that there are young Somali people that are resident in Minneapolis, I think that Mary Tyler Moore must be turning over in her grave. Yeah? This is how the internet has changed things. It has also changed things in terms of degrees and levels of violence because I was introduced to a new term this week which is called swatting. And swatting is when one individual, remember, it's your move, we're bearing in mind about how one person or one relationship affects another. Swatting is when someone contacts law enforcement by cell phone or perhaps they place a report on the internet and they make a complaint that there is perhaps Let's say there's an innocent person living in your neighborhood that's, and they have a friend that doesn't like them. And that person calls into the police and says, that person is, is undertaking unlawful acts. And so before you know it, you have a SWAT team that arrives at that person's home and that person is a complete innocent and the SWAT team has to go in and figure out what is going on. A very, very dangerous trend that is taking place when one person doesn't like another and they call in this false report. But how one thing affects another has always been true within creation. If we take, for example, what is called rewilding, which is an easier way to put widespread trophic cascades. Well, What do you mean by rewilding, Pastor? Well, they found that there was an ecological balance that was taking place in Yellowstone Park. Uh, The deer were beginning to multiply and they were overgrazing the land and this was actually affecting the biosphere of all of Yellowstone Park. And when they, uh, when they studied this a little bit more closely, they learned that the wolf packs were more or less eliminated back in the 1920s, over 70 years ago, and that this somehow had created an imbalance. So in rewilding, what they did is they reintroduced packs of wolves into Yellowstone National Park that began to uh, uh, kill more of the herds of deer. When they did that, the grass began to grow. When the grass began to grow, the trees began to grow taller. And birds that hadn't been a part of Yellowstone National Park for years and years began to settle into those trees. And other animals began to kill the birds. And so by reintroducing a wolf pack back into Yellowstone Park, it just set into motion a burgeoning uh, growth of life all throughout the park. One relationship affects another 
that affects another, that affects another. They even found that reintroducing wolves into Yellowstone National Park affected the very course and direction of the rivers because as the vegetation grew, the sides along the rivers became stronger because they weren't grazed down by the deer. Well, rewilding, it teaches us that important principle of how you are connected to me, I am connected to you, and God is connected to us together. And so what we do and what we say, it really, really matters. So within this sermon series, I want to explore four persons who keenly understood that life is full of decisions, decisions for self and decisions for God, and they were Amran, the father, and Yaakobed, the mother of Moses. But I don't want us to forget the midwives. So by extension, we can add them onto the four principal persons that we're going to look at throughout the month of January, the midwives. But there was also Ruth. We're going to take a look at Ruth uh, next week, Esther, and then finally uh, the prophet Daniel. They understood the importance of making their move and exercising their free will. Now the background for uh, today's text is that of ancient Egypt in the 14th century BC. Now Pharaoh, as we heard, he was anxious. He was anxious because the Hebrew population was growing and growing and growing. Uh, within Egypt. And although they were slaves, he was uneasy about the growth of their population, and this made him very, very anxious. And so Pharaoh came up with this bright idea, let's thin out the herd, if you will. So take every one of those male Hebrew children that are born, and when they are born, he instructed the midwives, put them to death. It was, if you will, an old ancient act of genocide to eliminate all of the males because if there was going to be any threat to Pharaoh's throne, it was going to come from males. I'm sorry, ladies, but in the ancient world, females weren't a threat, but the males certainly were. And so that's what Pharaoh said. Please kill, eliminate through this act of genocide all of the male babies. You see, Pharaoh had made his choice. And his choice was for evil. We have a choice, good or evil. Pharaoh chose evil. The plan of genocide, well, it would have gone absolutely smoothly except for two Hebrew midwives, Sifra and Puah, who also had a choice to exercise their free will and their decision-making. So Sifra and Pua decided not to go along with Pharaoh's plan. Just because someone is perpetrating evil doesn't mean that one necessarily has to go along with it. And from this ancient text, there's several important things that I want to say and share because by now... You might be asking, well, Pastor, what do two midwives living along the banks of the Nile River in the 18th dynasty of ancient Egypt have to do with me living today in 2018? Well, first of all, we see that those who fear God, like these midwives, who are in awe of God, 
They always seem to have a sense of when evil is coming, when it's on its way. And we remember that evil has already made its choice to be evil. That's what makes it evil. And contemplate, shall I choose good? Shall I choose evil? Evil has chosen that which is bad. So the sense of when evil is coming is not only felt by Sifra and Pua, but also by Moses. His mother, Jacobed, herself feels that there's this evil that is a coming. For the text says that when Pharaoh began his extermination of all the male Jews, she hid baby Moses for three months. She knew that there was this evil that was on its way. Well... Fine and good, pastor, for almost 3,000 years ago. But can those who fear God today still sense when evil is coming? Sure, I think that we can. If one takes a look at the changing laws around marijuana use, I sense that there is evil that is coming from that. Secondly, we need to remember that evil always recruits. Just as I gave inference earlier on about how ISIS, from living in Syria, recruits young Somali men that are living here in the United States, evil always recruits. Evil never accomplishes its purpose without having minions. Hitler had Mussolini. Drug kingpins living in Mexico recruit neighborhood drug lords that are living in Los Angeles or even Bangor, Maine, where they have a horrific heroin problem. Evil always recruits. The midwives and also Jacobed made a choice based on their relationship with God. We can't miss that from the texts. And God with them. That they could not and that they would not be recruited by Pharaoh to participate in evil acts. Well, where do we see this today, Pastor? Well, first... If we take a look at the world around us internationally, on December the 29th, just shortly after Christmas, about 10 days ago or so, give or take, South Korea, where uh, the Olympic Games are going to be held starting February 8th, uh, South Korea seized an 11,000-ton cargo ship called the Lighthouse Windmore, suspected of sending oil to North Korea in violation of UN sanctions. And they were caught out on the high seas passing this oil from one ship to another to another. So here's the actual UN sanction that was passed on December the 26th. It requires member UN nations to inspect and impound any vessel in their ports that is believed to be used for prohibitive activities within North Korea. And so this ship that the South Koreans caught, you guessed it, it was registered as a Chinese vessel. You see, where are these acts of evil taking place within the world? Well, there's one example of that, you see. Second, domestically, 
to prove that evil recruits one year ago, not quite, it was on January the 24th of 2017, little eight-year-old, and you know the story because it took place here in Cincinnati, little eight-year-old Gabriel Tay, he was bullied within a Cincinnati public school in the bathroom area. He was bullied and he was beaten up and that so traumatized him that two days later this little eight-year-old little guy, he hung himself by his necktie in his bedroom. Evil recruiting is as relevant today as it was in fourth century, 14th century B.C. Egypt. But the fact remains that in any moral decision or action before you, it is always your move. Always. What the midwives and Moses' mother chose were to be participants in deliverance. Participants in deliverance. Just like the wise men in Matthew chapter 2 that when Herod was inquiring, where is this newborn king, this babe to be born? Tell me. When you find him, let me know. Send me word so that I also might come and worship him. But we know the text from around the birth narrative of Jesus Christ that Herod only wanted that information so that he could kill baby Jesus because Jesus was a threat to Herod. Despite the evil that was and is and shall always be around us, participants in deliverance, they never ever give up. They demonstrate courage because they never ever give in to evil. Deliverance has been and always shall be deliverance shall be God's plan for humanity. What is the evil one's plan for humanity? Only this. If the evil one can get you to give up on yourself, he has succeeded. Nothing would make the evil one happier. It is what we call in Latin, pons asinorum. And what that means, pons asinorum, is the point at which many learners, if you think about your own life, when you are trying to take on board a new lesson and you feel like, I'm trying and I just can't get there to grasp that new lesson, Pons Aceneramus is that point at which you fail to grasp the new lesson. And that's exactly the place that the evil one always wants to have us, failing to grasp the new lessons that God wants us to learn. That's what almost happened to a young woman that I don't know, but I discovered this week as I was walking into a hospital to make a hospital call. A young woman almost fell into the clasp of the evil one, but the evil one, at least not in this instance, did not get his way. So in walking into this hospital, I, I walked into the, the chapel, which is uh, what I do when I, I visit folks in the hospital. I usually go into the chapel first and uh, say 
prayers for that person, but there's always a, usually a prayer, a, a, a book that's out in the chapel where you can make entries. You've perhaps seen these on your hospital visits. And so on that visit, I was writing the name of the, of the person in that I, I was going to visit, that I was going to see, and I happened to read an entry that was above where I was writing, and it said this, quote, Pray for our daughter who is recovering from a heroin addiction. And because she is recovering, she is now ready to be reunited with her daughter. And it broke my heart when I read this inscription. And, and, and so I said, this is the parents of this young woman that was addicted to, to, the, to heroin. But they're also grandparents of, 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 of the little girl that, that their daughter had. And they said these words. We love our daughter. And we love our granddaughter. I thought, praise God. Can you imagine the courage of those parents, of those grandparents, to stand beside their child as they face down that terrible addiction? Choosing good, choosing evil. Those parents could have walked away, but they didn't. They chose to be participants in deliverance and by extension, participants of deliverance in their granddaughter's life as well too. Why participate in deliverance? Why midwives? Why did you do this? Why did you resist Pharaoh? Why Jacobed? Why wise men? Why parents of the daughter addicted to heroin? Why did you do it? Because acts of deliverance always triumph over evil. Can I get an amen? Amen. Because acts of deliverance set people free. That is what the midwives and Moses' mother believed right down to the core of their being. They believed that as they participated in deliverance, it was going to set people free. And so as it turns out, historically, from that one act of putting baby Moses in that papyrus basket and floating him out into the Nile River, they participated in one of the greatest acts in all of human history, the deliverance of the Hebrew slaves from Egyptian bondage. Well, there was a, uh, a missionary to the country of Laos, which you know is right next door to Vietnam. And this uh, missionary wanted to translate the Word of God, the Bible, into the Laotian language. And so he would go to the native Laotians and he would say, um, give me the word in your language for Savior. And they said to him, well, we don't really have an adequate word for Savior. And he said to them, well, I, I, I need this word in the translation that I'm doing for you so that you can, you can read God's word in your own language. And so the missionary said, well, well what if a child was hanging over a cliff and you were to rescue that child. And the Laotian people said, oh, that's easy. That person is called a pa. 
And he said, okay, well, what, what if somebody was like running through the open grass, uh, grass and, and, and a lion took them down? And, and someone came to, to their rescue, to rescue that person from the line. They said, oh, yeah, well, th- that person would be called a, a pa. But as the missionary translated that into the text and shared that word for Savior with the Laotian people, it was very clear to the missionary that they still, the Laotian people, weren't quite grasping that true biblical sense of what the Savior meant. Until there was a a group of Laotian women that were out on a river and a torrential rainstorm came down and the missionary who was on the banks of the river could see that this boat was floundering and the women were in danger unless someone did something it looked like that they were all going to die and so at risk to his own personal safety the missionary dove into the river swam out the waves were churning the rain was beating down and he plucked each one of those Laotian women out from the water set them on the banks of the river and they were saved and there were Laotian people that came up to that missionary and said, that's not Pa, that's Che. Che means Savior. Well, what's the difference? A Pa saves someone from a distance. A Che saves someone up close. A pa saves someone without much personal risk. A che saves someone when their own life is being put on the line. And so this year, the Lord is calling us to participate in acts of deliverance, to to be like a che, a savior for others. And so... It's always your move. It's your move and my move. In 2018, will you be a Christian from a distance or up close? In 2018, will you be a Christian that is safe or will you be a Christian where your own personal risk is involved? The choice is yours. The choice is mine. It's always our move. Amen.